Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. I'm Himra Chenault, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Lanta Carroll, interim pastor of Families in Formation. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations. Because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Avenue, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit. Where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds, and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. Um, I'm Josh. Um, I'm a little bit terrified right now, but here we are. (laughs) Let's get through it. Uh, Yeah, cheers. Um, So I guess... I've been tasked with sharing a bit of my experience about dealing with uncertainty as it relates to, I mean, for me, uncertainty really goes into literally every pocket of how you experience life. Um, But I I think the emphasis today is going to be obviously about spirituality, God, religion, et cetera. So I, I started out, like my earliest memories of my life are pretty closely entangled with like very rapidly, uh, this idea that I'm definitely going to hell um, because I can't possibly be saved. Everybody else around me definitely is. I, w- I was raised in an SBC environment where you know there was kind of this predestination vibe, and uh, I just kept getting this discord that if I'm screwing up, I know that I know I can't be saved, right? Because it only happens one time. Some people, some people here were raised that way, like me. You only get saved one time, and it, and it sticks forever. Um, well, I'm screwing up, so I must not be saved. Um, and I guess I went through, like, the first 12 to 16-ish years of my life, minus the first one to three, where I don't know if I was really comprehending all that. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little into four. Uh, I don't know. Um, but uh, in any case, kind of in that, in that space where at least an hour a day I was like, Dear Jesus, I love you. You're awesome. Fix me. Why am I not fixed yet? Please fix me. Oh, my God. Um, So a lot of anxiety from that. Um, And I think you can only be in that space for so long without, like, something has to change or you're going to be, something pretty bad is going to happen if you can't get out from underneath that. And I, I should point out that, like, I'm not, I don't want, I'm not giving you tons of context, but, like, this isn't like everybody around me was saying exactly this. Is that they were giving me theological details that I then deduced, like, well, I didn't know the word Calvinism, but, well, we're basically Calvinists, and I'm, you know, everything I just said, it was kind of a constructed internal narrative that I was too scared to say to anyone, basically. And I would just say every now and then, like, once a year to my dad or mom, like, hey, um, are you sure I'm saved? I'm pretty sure, but, mm, you know, and it would never, yeah, that would just always got kind of scary. So I started encountering art and scholarship in like my teens, like, uh, I don't know, the band Tool, the uh, author Bart Ehrman, um, also the author Daniel Quinn, who wrote Ishmael, people who kind of poked holes in various theological ideas I had uh, that made me really scared because they felt right 
they felt like it was okay to not go along with this consensus notion that, uh, you know, everything that I had been reared up under maybe wasn't perfect. And that was both incredibly, that was incredibly an attractive idea and yet at the same time like thinking that was terrifying because it meant I'm actually in further jeopardy of definitely not being saved, oh my gosh, you know. And I, hopefully nobody here is like in any way triggered or bothered by thinking about that, but I'm just definitely trying to let you all know, I, even to this day, I still have a little bit of this obsessive vestige of like, oh, something bad's happening to me? Probably I've done something wrong and the mouth of hell is coming at any moment, or you know, it's, it's weird. Um, and so I try not to talk to youngsters about, uh, like I try to give them as much of a notion as possible that that's not something to be worried about because it, it's not healthy. Um, so these artists are poking at my brain and I, I feel like I'm kind of like got this egg shell that's cracking and maybe something can help me out. And finally in college I had this physics professor who, um, apropos of not very much, uh, just goes, he's describing how circles work. I don't know why we were talking about circles. Um, and so basically the more area there is in a circle, uh, the larger its circumference, right? And then he, he analogizes this to knowledge. Um, and so he says, the bigger the area of that circle, the bigger the circumference, and the more of the non-circle space that it touches, meaning that the more you know, the larger the horizon of your ignorance. Okay, so the, basically the boils down to the more you know, the more you know you do not know. And that uncertainty is not only okay, it's actually a sign of a healthy intellectual development. So I think that hit me at this gut level where all these other ideas that were saying question, think for yourself, um, were suddenly all right. Um, and I kind of come to you today in a space where I'm very, uh, very doubting and very confused all the time, but I'm okay with that when it comes to like this, the relationship I have with God and whether God is what I thought God was when I was a child or whether God is there even as we would conceive of them um, at all. Um, I, today I kind of feel like God is us right now talking to each other and realizing when we, even when we meet a complete stranger that that interstitial space between the two of us seeing a reflection of ourselves in the other and loving the other as ourselves, that is the, that's the God that I know right now. And that's the, that's the thing I have faith in through the doubt. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be found pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm happy to be with you all this morning here at Park Avenue Baptist Church. My name is Darcy Jarrett. I'm one of the pastors here. I use they, them pronouns. And I'm excited to offer a take thoughtfully and prayerfully about this scripture and this sermon series. We're in a series right now that's called The Stories We Tell. We are trying to look at ways we connect to each other through story, as well as we, how we connect to scripture through our own stories, to unveil these common patterns of thinking, the way that we talk about ourselves in our inner dialogue, the stories we tell. Each of us in this sermon series is examining a parable of Jesus. Last week, 
Lanta looked at the parable of the banquet, and in the first week, Pastor Henra addressed the parable of the lost son. From each of these stories, we can see a big picture of God, how inclusive God is, how God's forgiveness is deeper and wider than we can possibly imagine. These are snapshots of this circle of inclusion that God illustrates, right? And this parable of the sower, I think we have another picture of how big God's kingdom is. But this parable also pushes back on our being able to say that we totally understand the kingdom of God. It's quite enigmatic, and I think that's why I really enjoy the process of learning about it and now talking about it. The parable The parables are the stories that Jesus told his followers to illustrate the kingdom of God. The parables have been accurately called the story within the story. I hope that you're taking note of the creative work of Elizabeth Sanders, who's helping us to visually articulate these messages by drawing storyboards. You probably notice the parallel. Elizabeth is drawing storyboards within a larger storyboard. The story within the story is the parable. I'm, I'm sure you already noticed that. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for your perspective, your creative voice, and contributing to this space in such a creative way. During this short sermon series, we've been able to hear testimony from Park Ave folks, from our congregation, because when we conceived of this topic, we thought of storytelling as a basic commonality of humanity, We are all storytellers. Telling stories allows us to feel a sense of belonging. We speak our truth and hear others tell their truths and become connected. Last week, we heard the testimony from Deacon Nikki Roberts, and her story is so inspiring and moving and It was from a workshop that Nikki taught that I learned how storytelling affects our brainwaves. Nikki's done a lot of research on how storytelling impacts our empathy. She's working toward integrating storytelling in sentencing at court cases, court cases where we see sentences that just don't line up. 10 years for armed robbery and 10 years for killing someone in their own home. We know that it's important that we impact the justice system in a positive way. Nikki recounted in this workshop how listening to another story, another person's stories changes our brainwave patterns. Brainwave patterns are normally as unique and individual to us as our fingerprints. And as we listen to someone tell their story and as we deeply hear them, our brainwave patterns start to mirror those of the storyteller. We become connected neurologically through storytelling and deep listening. This is the power of story. We just heard Josh give his testimony of the times when he felt like he had to believe one certain way, and then later in life he realized that It was, in fact, the more that he learned, the more that he learned that he didn't know. And now he lives into this doubt and finds it a part of his faith. That, to me, is how I can connect 
to Josh in that testimony. So not only do stories help us connect on a deeper level, they have the power to challenge us to imagine bigger and more. Perhaps this is why Jesus used the parables to talk about the complex, the unknown, the superhuman, the kingdom of heaven, the elusive, the not yet, theologians call it the eschaton, the future so hoped for yet never experienced. Only can we get a picture of that, a snapshot through our own imagination. Through the art form of storytelling, we have a creative pathway to the imagination. To prepare for this sermon and this series, I read a book by John Dominic Crossan called The Dark Interval Toward a Theology of Story. And his whole premise is that story as an art form allows the listener space to imagine beyond what is possible to express in words. Crossan points out how the genre called parable differs from other forms of story like myth or narrative. Parable is fiction. It uses elements of surprise to point us toward a truth that is so big any language used to speak about it would have to be metaphorical. The kingdom of God. Maybe this is why Jesus used parable in this way. Many have likened Jesus speaking parables and teaching through parables to the liberative teaching style or pedagogy of Paulo Freire, who created what he called the pedagogy of the oppressed. This is a method of teaching that we here at Park Avenue try to use in worship and faith practice. The basic theory prioritizes the learner's lived experience. This is the polar opposite of the Socratic method of teaching that places all emphasis on the teacher who, blessed as they are, imparts knowledge on the learners. The Socratic method suggests that there is one perspective that is correct. A lot of church models do this. We put the preacher up front. We say, teach us. You have the answers. But here at Park Ave, instead, we say many of us know God. Many of us have experienced God. And why don't we hear from more voices in a rotating pulpit? What if there isn't just one way to interpret a text? The pedagogy of the oppressed puts forward experience as the most element, important element of understanding, honoring different ways of knowing, different intelligences, and it stands in stark contrast to a traditional education that many of us might have received, both in school and in church. A method that prioritizes knowledge and ways of knowing that are rooted in Eurocentric, white, dominant culture-specific ways of understanding. If we really want to uproot white supremacy, we need to uproot ways of knowing that say there is only one correct way to interpret history or to interpret biblical text. This, I believe, is why parable is so subversive. There are so many ways to interpret these parables. So Jesus is teaching through parable to meet people where they are. Parables are these creative stories that use familiar yet seditious teaching to help us think creatively about who God includes. But let us not conclude that in their familiarity that the parable is simple because it is truly complex in its many polyvalent meanings. 
and complex truths that it is communicating. The experience of sowing seed would have been familiar to most of the original hearers of this text. The concept of farming, familiar to them in their life's work, yes, but also this metaphor of seed and sower is present in ancient Hebrew tra traditions as well. The crowd has gathered to hear Jesus speak, and they hear a familiar word. This is not a story that would have been new. The parable speaks to them. The parable this one particularly is found in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as well as non-traditional historic Christian writing like the Gospel of Thomas, the Coptic Gospels. This is a popular parable. So we find ourselves in a, in a similar place. It's familiar to us as well as the hearers. So it's meant to be submersive. It's meant to meet us in our experience. Then it stands to reason our experience of hearing the text is important still today. So let's read it again and hear it together, focusing on our experience of listening. I'm gonna pause in the reading and ask questions and make reflections just to allow us some imaginative space to let this story meet us where we are. Hear and listen again. A farmer went out to scatter seed. Imagine the early light of the morning, the farmer meets the crisp air, seeds launching. What does the language of scattering bring up for us? As they scattered, some seed fell on the path and the birds came and ate it. Hear the early morning birds chirping, singing, flying overhead, now swooping, diving, landing on the path. How does it feel to hear and imagine this scene in the text? Other seed fell on rocky soil that was shallow. Feel that rocky path beneath your feet. Imagine you're the farmer. Walking in this uneven ground, seed happens to fall out on the ground. What comes up in your body, in our bodies, when we think of rocky ground and shallow soil? They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. Imagine a time-lapse video of a plant seed sprouting. Does the breaking open of seed to produce life fill your heart with wonder, or are you already thinking of the next verse? When the sun came up, it scorched the plants, and they dried up because they had no roots. What do you feel in this moment as we think of scorched plants, scorched by the sun, other seed fell among thorny plants. Picture yourself walking along and something, a vine catches your clothing. It pulls and sticks. Does this bring up anything in your body for this moment in the story? The thorny plants grew and choked the seeds and they produced nothing. What is this language? Hearing Jesus use this visceral language and imagery of choking bubble up for us. Other seed fell into good soil and bore fruit. Seed is spilling out all over, and fortunately, some falls into the good, dark, rich soil. What does it feel like to hear about seed that will bear fruit? Jesus says, for those who have ears to hear, let them listen. Did you experience the text differently with this imaginative process? 
connecting with the story we are telling ourselves with this scripture. It's a faithful practice. For me, reading and trying to sit in the text brought so many thoughts, and I think some muscle memory as well from lessons I've learned. I think I thought most about shallow soil. This impacted me greatly. In Mark's gospel, the soil is the person, or perhaps the community, but I was personalizing the text. I thought about times when the word of God or the seed landed with me, but I was shallow soil. I heard this redemptive message, but could not or would not let it take root. At other times, I've been wrought with thorny plants and choked out or shut out that still small voice that was calling me to relationship with Jesus. From this interpretation, I begin to think of communities where I placed myself in certain times, or perhaps I was scattered to. I thought of times in my life that I tried to come to a relationship with Christ and found myself in shallow soil. I landed once at a megachurch in the northern suburbs of Atlanta, so on fire for Christ, compelled toward this path, yet I was not included. I sprouted fast and withered in the sun when the community's boundaries made it clear that I wasn't included in their vision of the kingdom of God. I couldn't put down roots because of who I am, boundaries they placed around this message. Communities that do not affirm and uplift all identities are creating environments for fast growth yet quick burn in the scorching sun. Let us be deep soil. This could be our takeaway today, and it's a good message, a moral message, a how-to guide for churches. Be deep soil. This is an interpretation that safely implicates communities that aren't affirming, while simultaneously uplifting Park Ave as a place that does see a larger vision of God and who God includes in their kingdom. kingdom. So, if the parables are meant to speak to us at the different parts and different times of our lives, in our stories, in our communities, they are meant to ex- challenge us through the experience of hearing them and listening to them. What is the challenge, Park Ave? The charge that we just heard is more like a pat on the back. Great job. We are a place of deep roots and rich soil. You hear a bit of sarcasm in my voice because with this moral charge comes a kind of self-satisfaction, a kind of contentedness. We need to let the parable confront us and challenge us. This is the problem with drawing moral conclusions. We are using the parable like an allegory, but parable isn't allegory. Parable is multifaceted, many meanings. The moral implication is not the last implication. The last verses of this parable, to me, call to question my assumption of this one moral message in the parable, right? We cannot ignore it. Jesus goes on to say, the secret of God's kingdom has been given to you, but to those who are on the outside, everything comes in parables. This is so they can look and see, but have no insight. They can hear, but not understand. Don't you understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? 
Jesus has moved away from the larger crowd at this moment, speaking to those closest to him, including the 12. He's addressing those on the inside about the outside. He's creating a dichotomy of inside understanding and outside continuing to puzzle. Yet, we know from the writing in Mark that the disciples are confused about Jesus's message up until the end. It's almost comical, like those old style comedies where the person in the front doesn't see that the chair is missing behind them or what's about to ensue, right? They got, the disciples are confused. Jesus says to the community, knowing they don't understand, this is so they can look and not see, hear but have no insight, right? Otherwise, they might turn their lives around and be forgiven. Jesus is referencing the words of the prophet Isaiah in this moment, words meant as a condemnation at the time. The prophet was saying to the nation of God worshipers, you don't want what God wants. Isaiah is telling the people that their hearts are calloused and not open. Jesus says it, it sounds almost sarcastic, right? Could be a rebuke of the community, the community of those closest to Jesus who are supposed to understand, yet still don't. Don't you understand? Then how will you understand all of the parables? Knowing their confusion, today we arrive at this parable perhaps with a different problem, one of assuredness. We think we have it figured out, but are we too sure that we have the correct answer to Jesus's question? Do we lean too much on our interpretation that congratulates our own liberal paradigm? This parable is compelling, but thinking I can draw one correct moral implication, even if it aligns with this new liberal paradigm is just another way to submit to the Western dominant cultural idea of one interpretation. Perhaps I'm fooling myself to think that understanding is important at all. The disciples and the community don't understand. They can't picture the whole kingdom of God. They remain confused, yet they follow. Maybe we aren't supposed to figure it out. Maybe we're not supposed to have a moral conclusion. Maybe we're supposed to remain confounded, yet compelled. And instead, what if multiple meanings of the parable represent the multiplicity of ways that story can speak into our lives? The manifold ways that we can meet God in these genius little stories that deceive us with their simplicity and confound us with their depth. Parable yields so many interpretations. It could be said to embody metaphor itself. Parable resists permanence. It surprises us and can be interpreted in so many ways, as many ways as there are scriptures. And this story, the parable of the sower, has been interpreted thousands of ways. It can be interpreted to fit any moment in our lives, and I believe we embody different parts of the story at different times in our life. Narrative theory connects the telling of our story with our identity. We actually conceive of our own identity through the telling of story. The parable gives us a pathway to connect our own narrative to the ancient and holy scripture. The genius of parable is that it forces us to continue to come to the text, to the word, to the seed, to the potential, to follow another trail, another interpretation, 
another pathway to connect our narrative with the Holy Scripture, to look at the text and to say there has to be more there. And in the end, in this following, we are doing the slow transformative work of weaving our story together with the biblical text. We tell our stories again and again. And in the telling of our story and the study of parable, the scripture becomes our story and our story becomes the new scripture. Bishop Yvette Flunder says, we are writing the next testament with our lives. One that includes the story of blackness and queerness and boundless inclusion and liberation. And all this through the practice of questioning. Shimamanda Ngozi Adichie, a Nigerian writer, speaks in her TED talk, The Danger of the Single Story. She says, stories matter. Many stories matter. Stories have been used to dispossess and malalign, but stories can also be used to empower and humanize. Stories break the dignity of people, but stories can also repair that broken dignity. The Christian religion has done so much to create boundaries and make regulations about who is in and who is out, who understands and who does not, right orthodoxy and right belief. Many of us have been marginalized in the telling of this Christian narrative, but we are writing our stories and continuing to faithfully come to scripture and ask questions and sit and listen and align our brainwave patterns with those that we hear. Storytelling is powerful and experiential, connecting us neurologically. We must continue to tell our stories, the stories of our community, and listen when people tell us who they are. What's the story within the story of our narrative, Park Avenue? Let us continue to reach towards scripture as a way to be called back to who we are and never arrive at a self-satisfied place. Instead, reach new levels of connection and question that continue to compel us toward that deep, rich soil where in the blackness of the earth, a miracle can happen and a seed can sprout forth with life and love and justice and it just multiplies. May God make it so. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta across the street from Grant Park at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into the world that is too often unjust. Knowing that the God who created you loves you and empowers you. To love boldly. Live inclusively. And to serve creatively. Amen. Amen.